It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the Hive Jive. Okay, so today, first, thank you everybody for joining us. For those of you who are just getting to tune in, <laughs> thank you for joining us. <laughs> We've been having a little fun out here on the on the uh, the other side of this. And for those of you who are watching the video, you know why. Um, for those of you who are listening to the audio, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, so today we are actually going to tackle a listener question that was sent in by Mike B in Oklahoma. Um, and I will I will preface this at the very beginning by saying Mike did say, because uh, he does live in Oklahoma, and I made a comment a few episodes back that you couldn't pay me enough to move to Oklahoma or live in Oklahoma again because I was I was born and raised between there and the the uh southwest corner of Kansas and the panhandle of Oklahoma. And Mike did make a comment that you couldn't pay him enough to live in the panhandle of Oklahoma either, even though he does live in the state, <laughs> he wouldn't live in that section of the state. So I don't feel as bad <laughs> with my comments now, because uh, I was like, I really hope that didn't offend anybody. But I I put in my dues. I was there for many years. So it's not just an arbitrary comment. Yeah, um, you're talking about. Yeah. So anyhow, so today's listener question comes from Mike. And it's actually, it was something that I kind of thought might be a good discussion point. Um, originally, I had forwarded it over. We had chatted about it and we were going to send a response back. And then I told Mike we were holding off because we may actually use it for an episode. So here we are. Um, but his question has to do with off-gassing and specifically with plywood and OSB. And he says, I've got a question for you. I've heard that we should not use plywood or OSB or other types of building materials that have been glued together with resins and solvents. They have off-gassing, or sorry, <laughs> these things off-gas chemicals into the hive. However, I see these being used all over the place and apparently showing no ill effects. I would like to know what you and Natalie think about such things. So that is the preface of the, the question. Um, and we can just kind of take it and run from there. So I will... I, I have I have a couple of comments that I will save till after yours. Um because you, you asked me ahead of time. Yeah, because I got I got the response that we were supposed to forward over, but then I decided, you know, otherwise. But um mine's in the, the same vein, but I, I do have a couple of other little remarks to put into that as well. So okay. so yeah. So Miss Natalie, what are your thoughts? <laughs> John, so I think that from the perspective of being cheaper and maybe even potentially lighter, there's some advantages to those. But as far as I'm concerned, that's where it stops. Um, I am concerned about the off-gassing. Um, even if it's not measurable, we don't know what it does long term, and we might not be aware of all the potentially non-visible, non-measurable, unintended consequences, right? We always go back to that. Um, because there are glues and, and um, um, basically toxic components to those glues. And I'm concerned about that personally. The other thing I'm concerned about, but that's true also with other thinner materials, is um, the thickness doesn't provide much thermal mass. And I personally prefer the thicker 
two inch lumber, which is really one and a half inch thick, but it could be thicker um, because it provides more thermal mass that kind of dampens the um, peaks up and down of temperature. It, it doesn't make the variations of uh, temperature as sharp and therefore it's not as uh, taxing on the energy of the bees to keep their brood's nest temperature constant and um, they don't go through their resources as much. So it's also energy saving. And that means that their food stores can go longer. So that's kind of my take overall on this. So, so I'm not curious about what you're gonna say. Well, so so number one, a lot of those different types of materials, while they may be cheaper or readily available because they are very commonly used in building materials and they also have uh, you know, scraps and things like that that you can get a hold of. So yes, you could do it at an economic kind of aspect to it, a cost-saving aspect. But if you also think about the other aspects of it, most of those are not weather resistant mm -hmm. and they have to have some sort of added chemicals put to them. You've got to have paints and primers and sealants and things like that put to the outside because if moisture gets to them, some of them literally just expand and fall apart. Right. And yeah, they may be used to build your house, but then they've got a layer of, of like a fire block paper over that, like an old school kind of tar paper. They've got a thing of insulation and then they got your siding. <laughs> so they're not exposed right. to the elements and they're not intended to be um, so. So that is one of those first things that I would think about is that it's not necessarily weather resistant. So therefore it's not necessarily the best material to use. And to make it weather resistant, you're adding more chemicals and more things into it. Now, on the other aspect of this though, there's a few things that I will I will point out and they all kind of go hand in hand. But to use a very bizarre analogy for this, everybody loves the new car smell. When you first get a new car, it has this very specific aroma to it. And it. What, what most people don't realize is new car it smell is, is comprised of glues, resins and formaldehyde. Yeah, and bad for you. Yeah, exactly. Those things are not good for you. Now, could we ever prove that your new car is giving you cancer? Probably not, because there's so much other crap that we breathe on a daily basis that is bad and toxic. That's just one of those things. And yes, it is in a minute quality. You know, there's there's not necessarily an overabundance of it that you would notice something immediately from it, but it is something that is not necessarily healthy. So for well, the bees, go ahead. I was gonna say I completely agree with you. That's why for a long time I didn't want to buy a brand new car. And the when I got my pickup truck, it was actually brand new. And I drove around Texas heat for two months with my windows down. Yeah, because that's open when I was parked. Yeah, yes. that's another whole thing too. When the when the inside of that new vehicle heats up, then the off gassing increases exponentially. <laughs> right. So I was very aware of that and I really don't like it. So I'm not about to expose my bees to anything like that. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So here's the other things that I wanted to kind of point out. So yes, you are possibly seeing it everywhere, Mike, and that is unfortunately very common, but there's a few things, another analogy that I will, I will draw here. And, um, it's, it's going to be kind of an interesting concept because I, you're, you're, you're not potentially going to like or agree with one of these analogies, yeah. but it is something that I have always kind of held true to, to some belief. Um, so one of the other aspects here is the simple fact that a lot of times these are being used for nukes. 
they're mm -hmm. being used as the smaller boxes to be able to raise a bunch of bees in the spring. And so they're not necessarily, now this is not to say that people aren't building entire hives out of them, but in the majority of the cases that I've seen, they are the nuke boxes. So your bees are not living in them long-term. So yeah. therefore you don't necessarily have the data to be able to see what it would cause long-term. The analogy that I was gonna draw to that is there there are some breeders of bees that do what they call treatment-free bees, uh, mm -hmm. but their bees are also within drone congregation flight distance of other oh, colonies, yeah. which are absolutely treated all the time. Right. And their whole goal is raising and selling bees. Right. They don't keep bees. So... How do they truly know the longevity of their stock of bees? Because they're constantly taking them, selling them to somebody else, and then moving on. Those colonies could swarm, they could reproduce, they could get requeened, they could have any other sort of intervention from the beekeeper. And I've always kind of scratched my head at that because I did have a couple instances where I got some colonies from them and I did not do anything to them and they did not survive. And I, I often wondered if that was not because the genetics that they're claiming that they have are not being diluted by the genetics of the other operation nearby who does do all the treatment. So, well. <laughs> so the, the I was going to say that. Yeah, is that the, the commercial aspect of the queen selling can get stressful on the queen themselves, right? They're harvested potentially too early. They're not necessarily as well mated because there's a lot of competition in those con drone congregation areas. There's all kinds of things that are to be kept in mind. Yeah. And but the, so the, the whole point of that analogy is a simple fact that you don't have the long term data to truly necessarily support the claims. Now, if you did put colonies into one of these types of containers, there's there's a twofold thing that's going to happen. One, the wax is going to absorb some of these chemicals and it's going to be just yet one of the other random chemical analysis that show up whenever they test the wax and they find out right. what all is in there over a certain period of time that's going to help protect the bees from whatever's happening but it's not necessarily still protecting because it's still going to be in the air it's still going to have the fumes in the air so when it's brand new it's going to be the worst any of the adult bees are breathing it the queen is breathing it the larva is breathing it so it could have some impact on that that's not Absolutely. to say that your colony isn't going to try to fix that by requeening if the queen is starting to fail in health. So they replace her and then you get a new queen in there. And by that period, now that box is set for a little bit longer. Maybe the off-gassing has slowed a little okay. bit. Um, you can also get to the point where once your wax is super saturated with all these things that it's absorbed, it can turn around and start leaking that back out. And then, you know, you, and then that's just not the off-gassing. That's everything that's come into the colony. Now, on the flip side of it, another thing that the bees are doing is they propolize everything. And if you've got a strain, say. yeah, if you've got a strain of bees that is going through and, and they are, they still have a lot of the traits to do propolis and propolization, they're going to propolize the entire inside of that. And by doing it, they seal the inside of that wood and then the off gassing stops and it doesn't necessarily come into the colony. So the bees are doing things to help prevent this. Now, where does this knowledge for me come from? Bee removals, because bees yeah. will build colonies in some of the dumbest places from a human's perspective where you're like, why on earth would you do that? Like inside a freaking tire. Like that's the worst. <laughs> like yeah. you couldn't save anything from that. The honey, the wax, the nothing. It just smelled like Rubbermaid. Like it was gross. So Goodyear, technically not even Rubbermaid. It was Goodyear tires. <laughs> but but 
So they will build colonies in all kinds of places that are maybe not necessarily hospitable, but it was the best thing that they could find. And then they begin the very arduous work of trying to make it better and make it more hospitable by doing the propolization of the inside of the colony and helping to cover up some of that stuff and hopefully seal it out. So that might be why you don't necessarily see those detrimental effects that may occur down the road is because one they're either not in there long enough for you to ever tie it back to that but maybe that's what causes like you've got this nuke and you raise it and it does it does seems like it does great but then all of a sudden it doesn't have as long of a life once you've moved it into the other hive or something you know there's there could be all kinds of underlying effects like you said unintended consequences that we're just not necessarily thinking of or aware of so is it the best thing probably not there's just like everything. There's not such a thing as the best thing. There's trade-offs to everything, right? And even to like, I'm a big proponent of natural treatment-free beekeeping and thick boxes. There's there's drawbacks to everything. You just kind of take what you what fits you best, your philosophy, and what you do your best within the context of helping out the bees be healthy. Because in the end, we don't want to lose any bees. Uh, that proposition is probably also increased by the fact that those particle boards very often are some of them anyway um um are kind of like overlaid yeah they're rough series. they're rough they make it uh they entice the bees to propolize more than a flat surface uh, like a one inch board of pine wood doesn't entice them to propolize so that's a disadvantage to that the other thing that you mentioned is the 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 fact that you would need to paint them or treat them in a specific way to make them last longer but in the end it's not as durable as some other materials right so where you don't invest as much upfront you might end up having basically disposable boxes that will cost you more that are filling your landfill or that you have to burn or it's got a, a consumption aspect that that comes into play because it's not as sustainable uh, from that standpoint. So those are the considerations that I would keep in mind, but your points are excellent. And that was funny because I was thinking, well, I'm the one with the simplistic evaluation up front, And then he's thought about all this stuff. <laughs> so well, cause that, was- that, that, that is the obvious, you know, the, the, the off gassing aspect of it and the unintended consequences. But I like to often try to drive, draw some parallels in there that can, help maybe provoke some thought in the listener and say, oh, well, you know, that that's actually true that I wouldn't do that over here. So why would I apply that same principle over here kind of thing? Or, oh, that makes total sense because I've seen it there. So yeah, that may actually apply here as well. So I kind of thought that that was just kind of an an interesting thing to go through and do. Um, So in a similar vein to some of the things that we've said, but from a completely separate thing, we had another question come in and this uh, this gentleman, I do not believe because he just started the podcast. So I do not believe that he is actually on here on Patreon yet. Um, and I could actually answer that by going and looking at the member roster, but I, I don't believe he is. And if you are awesome, welcome. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for me not not realizing that. Uh, but he had just said uh, that he is he's recently started the show and he's loving the show. So uh, but here's his question. He said, I recently started the podcast and I love it so far. I don't have bees yet, so this is probably a premature question. But in all of your episodes that I've listened to and other podcast episodes that I've listened to, I haven't been able to find the answer to this question just yet. I've even tried Googling it with no avail, so I'm hoping you can help me out. I know that you should never harvest honey, quote unquote, that the bees make while you are feeding them because it isn't actually made with nectar and therefore is not honey. My question is, however, what about the wax? 
is it okay to harvest the wax that they pull out and put up while you're feeding them? Or do you need to track which frames were created from the sugar feed wax and pull those out or do something else with them? So that was an interesting question. Absolutely correct. This is from Todd. And uh, Todd's actually absolutely correct there because it's not something that I've ever actually talked about. It's not something that I've ever heard in another thing anywhere, but it's, it's actually, it's a good question. So my response to Todd was that one, the whole aspect of you shouldn't eat or sell the the honey that they make from the sugar syrup is one, it's it's not, it's just sugar. So it's not actually nectar. Right. It doesn't have some of these other things to it. It will have some of the enzymes from the bees because they are still going to go through that process of, of adding the enzymes, doing the fermentation and reducing it down to a honey type substance. Right. But the wax itself is it boils back down to that sugar aspect because what the bees are doing is from the nectar, they are pulling in these different sugars. They're pulling in the fructose, the glucose, the dextrose, and their body is converting the excess sugar only into a byproduct that is wax. Mm -hmm. So even if you had, you made a tea with your sugar syrup or you do something else to it, it's not really necessarily going to affect the wax itself. The only thing that I have noticed wax being affected by sometimes is either I don't know if it's really coming from the nectar or if it's coming from the pollen, but I have noticed certain times of the year, if there's a certain type of flow, sometimes the wax, brand new fresh wax will almost be a bright yellowish color instead of an opaqueish white color when they first draw it. But otherwise, it's still wax, it's still beeswax, and right. you can still go through and use that fresh wax to be able to make candles, do salves, bombs, things like that to it. So there really is no harm in that aspect of it. Right. No. And I'm uh, first of all, Todd. Great mindful question. You're you're trying to think about possible intended consequences. You are correct in saying that when we feed sugar syrup, it does go into the cells and uh, it can even skew the results of honey judging. Right. I've known a lot of beekeepers that have lost their. I mean, that have been disqualified because they had sugar water in their um, honey that was not the right composition and they didn't even know they had stopped feeding the sugar syrup before but apparently the bees move it around and that can still skew your results so just be, be mindful of that uh and as far as the wax i completely agree with you i think that there's a transformation and it's basically um the the sugar syrup is used as fuel but the wax is secreted from glands in their body and it's not coming directly from their digestive system so there's no uh, direct correlation except for the fact that there's an energetical energetical influx that's allowing them uh, combined with the proper age of bees to generate those wax scales um you mentioned the orange tint to some of that fresh wax yeah and I I've, think I've seen some it's like almost like a bright yellow it's kind of weird yeah, I think it comes from pollen, the bees uh, walking on the comb, um, but potentially it's infused in how what's they ingesting and somehow, you know, when you you um, eat beets and you go to the bathroom, you realize. <laughs> <laughs> Things are a different color. <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe there's some of that, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't worry about that personally. I'm more concerned about the treatments permeating the wax and being absorbed into the wax. Than I am with that aspect of sugar syrup. Yeah, and then and that would I would agree with that as well. So um, what I was referring to in the the coloration of the wax, it was out there on the main apiary. It's typically early spring. Um, whenever there's something out there that that starts blooming and growing, and they're able to start bringing in a very early nectar flow some years, and when they do, 
it's not the it's not the debris and the dirt and the tracks that sometimes show up on wax because you'll see fresh white wax and then the more they walk over it the dirtier the surface gets and you can tell that it's kind of around the edges of the wax itself this was literally the wax like you could every bit of the cell and everything had that more of a yellowish tint instead of that right. opaqueish white kind of cream tint to it. And I was like, what on earth are you guys doing? But it only right. happened a couple of times, but I have had combs that I've pulled out and I was like, that that is yellow wax. Like almost right. what you would think of when you melt the wax down to make a candle and the, right. the traditional beeswax candle that everybody associates right. with is this kind of brightish yellow color to it. That's kind of what it looked like. It was it was yeah. really kind of interesting. Whereas sometimes it's completely like white, like paper thin kind of, very very fresh but yeah extremely I, fragile yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so those were the the listener questions that we had come in this last week and i thought that uh, that would be something beneficial to everybody to be able to go through and talk about and hear here on the show and so hopefully uh it has giving you a little more insight into some of these things, maybe again, giving you some things to think about, think about some of them unintended consequences and uh well, yeah. I was going to say thank you for sending those questions, Michael and Todd. We really appreciate that because we're always trying to help you guys out and see if we can look at things from a different perspective. So bring them on, guys. Send more questions. We'd we'll love to um, address them and potentially have a full episode of a theme that you guys might have proposed. That is true. We can uh, we can always do that. We do that on the main platform. Whenever we get enough of them built up, we'll go through and do a listener question episode. We definitely don't mind doing that here on Patreon, especially for the patrons who are here can hear it, <laughs> who are here and can hear it. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't do anybody else any good for at least a year. <laughs> right. It will come out eventually, but it might take a while. You'll get there someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in for this short question episode. We hope that you've enjoyed and we look forward to talking to you again next week. But until then, be good. And be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs>